Connect with your potential customers wherever they are. Effective uses Comcast viewership data insights to combine advanced targeting capabilities with premium TV and streaming content so you can deliver the best ad experiences to your audience no matter how they watch. Visit EFFECTV.com. Welcome to the Grit Daily Startup. I'm your host, Sebastian Rusk, and this is a podcast about what goes on behind the scenes at startups. The good, the bad, and the gritty. Let's dive in. Hey, I'm April Joyner. I'm a correspondent at Business Insider. I'm speaking today with Stefan Rust at Laguna. Yeah, thank you. Nice to be here and, and super happy to actually be in this heat in Austin. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a hot day. <laughs> yeah. So can you tell me a little bit just about how you got into Web3 and what you're doing now at Laguna? Yeah. So I got into Bitcoin actually in 2012. So I've been in this space for quite a while. I've been very fortunate to have been invited by a software engineer that wanted to get paid in Bitcoin, um, who then sort of opened my eyes and my horizons to Bitcoin. Um, but what really got me in, sold me across the line was the fact that I used to work at Sun Microsystems and help grow the Java ecosystem. And the wallet that was available at the time for Bitcoin was a Bitcoin J wallet, which was Java based. And so that then sort of said, okay, I'll, I'll test it out. And I just got in really early and uh, was sold on this speed and the directness on how I could transfer money around the world instantaneously with no fees straight from one laptop to another laptop on the other side of the world. So that was really what sold me and got me super excited about this space, Web3. Cool. And then, I mean, I took it from there and and I just evolved. I got into uh, really building out the developer network. So people that were building in Bitcoin at the time, Um, then the gas fees and transaction fees started growing because we were trying to do everything on chain and the code base needed to be improved in order and have certain features and functionalities on the blockchain in order for the Bitcoin to be able to transfer at a larger scale. And that's when the fork happened between Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin Core. Um, and you see that same fork happen when Ethereum, the gas fees started getting high. You then saw the second network, second tier networks like Polygon, Optimism, ZK Sync, they all started growing. And then the EVMs started taking on a role in the ecosystem in order to ensure speeds and minimize the fees associated with the speed of a transaction. Got it. And when you're talking about forking, you're talking about different chains forming? Yes, exactly. So, um, I mean, Bitcoin actually did fork. So they, they replicated the code, they copied the code, and then launched a whole new chain. Uh, with the same code, but then they evolved and developed in different channels. Basically, you had different teams building in different strains of the same core code base. Um, But then Ethereum, what happened was Ethereum then forked or they built layer twos off the same code base as well, but they would then interact with each other and build bridges between each other. Got it. So yeah, can you explain how that works now, especially um, with DeFi and basically what people are trying to build on top of that now? Yeah, so DeFi is is super interesting. What the creativity that's come out around taking 
the ability to build smart contracts and build um, certain functionality associated with these smart contracts. And the real innovation in DeFi is sort of the AMM, sort of the automated market making capability that transpired. Um, and that was sort of really innovated, I think, by a couple of players. And one of them was Bancor. Um, it was really multi- multiplied by Uniswap that really scaled it with an exchange. So you could all of a sudden get tradability with that. Yeah. Can you explain a little bit more about AMM for people who might not know? Okay. So AMM is basically, it's like a, you're creating a pool or you're creating a, let's put it like, um, how would I, what would be a good uh, example? Would be maybe a glass of water. Half of that water is going to be filled with syrup and the other half with water. And, you know, and, you have, keep it at that base, but you need to be able to mix the two. That's a bad analogy. <laughs> <laughs> that's like okay, you can but start over. You take a two pools. You take two pools. You have fifty percent of that pool is going to be in one currency, and then a fifty percent is in another token set. So you have two tokens uh, in one pool, and you have to be able to have tradability associated with those. So if I want to exchange, let's say ETH and Tether. I have to be able to swap the two around at any point in time, back and forth. Um, and so those pools then make sure that there's always enough supply of Tether and Ethereum in that same pool. So that anytime somebody wants to exchange, you want to exchange your East into Tether, there has to be enough Tether there for you to deposit your East. If I want to exchange Tether to East, I then need to have, make sure that there's enough ETH in that same pool so that I can do that. And the people that contribute their tokens to that pool earn rewards for that. Got it. Yeah. Because I know that's a big thing that is drawing a lot of people to DeFi is that they can earn, like yeah. the yields can be really high. Can yeah. you speak more about that and like what makes that happen? So, so the yields, there's a transactional yield that happens. So anytime an exchange happens, there's a transactional reward for the contributors. And then there's the incentive to further incentivize token holders to provide liquidity to those pools. And as the users provide liquidity to those pools, there's a reward that can deviate. Somebody may want to, I need to, this pool is really popular. I want to incentivize ETH holders to put more ETH into that pool. I will reward them with a given token and I can reward them at a higher level to get them more aping in, or I can give them a lower level because it's a really good platform. There's going to be lots of transactions and then they will earn their rewards in the transaction rewards. Yes. So, I mean, that sounds good, but what do you think is needed for that to become more popular to get more people into it? I think it's, it's, it's the understanding of how it works. Um, explainers, uh, education, um, I think that's really the main thing because the people that are already in DeFi and sort of have an understanding of this are already really involved and and get it really in a way. In order for more participants, how do I make it easier to engage? How do I understand where the rewards are coming from? And what is the risk associated with putting it into the pool? Because if a pool has a lot of money in it, in terms of Ethereum and Tether in the example I mentioned earlier, if there's a lot of funds in there, that is prone to a possible attack. Somebody may want to go and figure out how can I extract money from that and think of it like a safety deposit box. If you know in that safety deposit box, there's a lot of money and on the blockchain, everything's super transparent. So you can see everything. 
I know how much money is in safety box number 999, right? And so, okay, I'm going to go after that one because that's got more money in there than anywhere else. How is that insured? Is that insured? If somebody hacks into it, how difficult is it to hack into that? Is it protected? Has it been audited? All of those elements provide a level of safety. And if you remember in the internet days when it first started, websites would have to convince people that you can put your credit card into the website to purchase. And they'd have that little safe, you know, this, the, the key or the lock, the padlock that would be there right. to show it was safe. Um, and those are examples that how, and it's all psychological. Um, how do we provide intuitive user experience that address that psychology of fear um, that you may lose your money? Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point because, um, you know, obviously there's a lot going on with the markets right now. Yeah. There was a big blow up with Terra, <laughs> UST, Luna, that whole thing. Like, what do you think is needed to build trust after all of that? Um. What is needed to build trust? I think um, we, I mean, in, in, in the ecosystem, I think we learn our, partially our view is that we are moving forward as an industry. We're 10 years old. We're still very young as an industry. And in a way, you know, I don't know, analogy, a good analogy might be in, you know, in the Western movies, you had outlaws that would go West and then they would go and rob banks and then they'd run away with their horses. And in a way that might be an analogy that that's what happened with terror, right? We had a bank robber come in and, and attack a, 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 a deposit. Um, all the deposits were depleted and were taken away. But we as a community have now learned what was the problem there? How do we fix that? What are the solutions? And we did that within a couple of weeks over Twitter sphere, over blog posts, over we, uh, because it's so transparent, we could see on the explorers, blockchain explorers, what happened? How did that happen? What wallets did it? What were the, the, the constraints in that? And there were two problems that were really identified. One is the governance model required seven days of waiting for people to vote and submit. And the attack took place in two days. Right, so it was fully depleted, pretty much in two to three days, and you seven days to complete a vote. So the decision making process in extreme measure times was not uh, appropriate for that. The other problem there was, and we as a community, how do we deal with that, especially in a world where non custodial solutions and DAOs are dominant in in, in DeFi, in, in in blockchain, in Web three. Then number two is the um, the, the, the model that they had deployed, algorithmic versus collateralized stablecoins, we realized that the algorithmic alone doesn't quite substantiate a valuation of $70 billion um, in the marketplace. And so how do we find a balance between collateral, so a backed stablecoin with assets underlying it, versus a free wheeling, um, algorithmically controlled stablecoin. And I think we've come to the conclusion that the algorithmically, the 100% algorithmically stabilized coin doesn't work. Um, and so we need collateral to back it up. Got it. Yeah. No, we're running out of time, but you think, you know, is this basically settled or you think there's still a lot of work to be done to bring this to a point where, you know, we won't have something like that happen again? 
So I won't say we won't have anything like that happen again. We've had a number of big incidents happen in in, in crypto or in Web3. We had the Mt. Gox um, crash. We've had the DAO hack. We've had this event that happened with Terra. Each one were, had significant impact on the ecosystem as a whole. Um, but it will manifest itself in a different form. It will be something totally different that we didn't expect, that we didn't see. Um, and that will then realign. I think from a stable coin and from a DeFi perspective, we've addressed that. You've got really good companies out there like a Frax um, that have actually got fractionalized collateral and algorithmic solutions. You've got things like Vault that has an inflation protected stable coin. You've got Magic Internet Money that also has a collateralized solution. So we've already built solutions out there that are battle tested. Um, maybe not to the extent that Terra was, but definitely really strongly battle-tested. Um, so even Tether, I mean, Tether, everybody criticizes Tether, but Tether has been amazingly battle-tested. They've had lots of struggles and challenges, which they've overcome. And I think for that, they're stronger today. Ooh. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Stefan, for taking the time to speak with me. Thank you. Thank you for your time. And thank you for asking these lovely, interesting, challenging questions. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Grit Daily Startup. If you haven't done so already, make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you consume podcasts. This way you'll get updates as new episodes become available. This podcast is brought to you by GritDaily.com, the premier startup news hub. More information at GritDaily.com. Once again, I'm your host, Sebastian Rusk. Until next time, friends. Mm-hmm.